with the truth and materials concept, it's just like, okay, we can design things like it's really kind of ramshackle and, and falling down and has a lot of character. Um, but if it's made out of wood, let's, let's draw that wood um, in a way that wood is, is worked. So it's either carved or it's sawn um, or, you know, honed with an ax. It's not inflated. It's not um, polished. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Garrett Taylor is the art director for the Wing Feather Saga television series. The new Art of Wing Feather book features beautiful work from Garrett and his teams. I actually did some of the writing for that book and spent a lot of time talking with Garrett in the process. I was always struck by how thoughtful he was about things I'd never known to be thoughtful about. So I was very glad to be able to sit down again with Garrett Taylor and reminisce about old times when we were working on The Art of Wing Feather together. Garrett Taylor, I'm so happy to have you on the Habit Podcast today. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm excited to do this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you're the art director for the Wing Feather Saga TV series. Did I say that? Right. I got that right, correct? Yep, animated TV series, yeah. That animated TV series, yes. That's that's the yep. word I left out. Um, and so uh, I'm really excited to talk to you about, you know, I always have storytellers on this podcast, but I don't usually have visual storytellers on the podcast. So uh, okay. I'm really um, uh, excited about talking to you about some, some of the, what, the kind of choices that a a person who tells stories and pictures, the kind of choices y'all make. Yeah. Uh, and I know we've talked at some length uh, about this in the past um, as you know, th- this new Art of Wing Feather, I say new, the Art of Wing Feather book came out in the last, you know, in the last month or two. Yeah, it's new. Uh, it's new. Yeah. It's fresh, yeah. And, um, and so, you know, I helped a little bit with some of the writing on that. And so we've had some conversations. So I'm excited about sharing. I always loved talking about these things uh, with you and the rest of the team. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing some of your insights with, uh, with the listeners of the habit podcast. Um, I want to start with y'all. You could have done photorealism for this series and you chose not to, you chose to do something else. Yep. Tell me about that choice. You know, why did you, um, people have gotten pretty used to, to pretty realistic stuff and animation and you and you decided to do something else yeah i think that that's a great question there's just the way that the the kind of animation has progressed over time we we remember like the old disney cartoons you know 101 dalmatians or lion king and yeah it was very much like a drawing that was colored you know and it, it came to life and that had its own technical method of of creating that you know um flip book style <laughs> um but as technology progressed and we got into you know the initiation of pixar and and cg animation and then um just as as just skill and technique everything did get more and more photo real and mm-hmm. so we see that in some of the more recent pixar disney shows where it's, it's just like wow this could be uh, photographed you know toys or stop motion style where it's actually taken by a photo and it had that has its own appeal and obviously yeah. uh, a big a big following but i do think that just the way you know 
styles shift over time there so there's basically an appetite right now to see things uh, a little bit more hand touched uh-huh and um i think you know at any time we see art there's there's a freshness to a brush stroke like if you see just how a brush a dry brush goes across the canvas that captures a certain energy that speaks of the artist yeah um, and so i think for the our whole team we were really hoping to to capture a bit of that energy mm-hmm. um and to do that we we decided on kind of a hand painted storybook style um with actually digitally hand painted backgrounds and so you know there were some challenges in getting the characters to, to meld with the backgrounds and such but overall it's been a very successful i think um yeah. the other the other facet of that is that it just allowed us to be able to create a more um quality looking product for our kind of scope and budget mm-hmm. which worked out well when you say painted backgrounds i could you distinguish you know you, you how was your painted background different from the backgrounds in say i don't know toy story or something like that yeah that's a good question um so in those the old style disney so say lion king those were hand painted backgrounds as well so back then that was before you know we had photoshop and computers that were powerful enough to paint in so folks would get their their illustration board out and their gouache paints and airbrush and and you know draw over their their scene and then paint it um and then with the computer animation like pixar stuff it was um they would just model out basically build the whole world the trees the buildings the the hay piles and the the streets and cars in the computer so modeled you know 3d you could turn the camera around and see it all and then um and then they would just shoot the film within that so uh-huh. the backgrounds kind of existed within the computers you would say you could move the camera within the world um ours is basically using the old style that disney did with the the um one caveat that we are painting them in the computer so we're painting them in photoshop but it's technically the same skill so our artists use photoshop you know they they do a drawing of what they want to be in the background be it a building or yeah um you know coastline and and then select what color they want use the slider to pick up a certain color of blue and um we have these monitors that we can draw right onto so the stylus is connects with the monitor uh-huh. and you just choose a brush shape and literally just start painting so uh-huh. Uh-huh. it feels like painting but you're not having to get out the paints uh-huh you're not getting so you got it's it's as if you've got a a background a, a painted background the way you would in a play yep. and then you've got your your characters are 3d is that exactly yeah, yeah okay. so again just marrying technology with with the kind of older uh, sentiments of of animation we did model all of our characters and when i say that again they're modeled in the computer in three dimensions and so i like to think of the whole thing like a puppet show i think it's the mm. best way to describe mm. it. yeah um and in a pixar style uh production 
the puppet show where you'd build the puppet in 3d and you would build the whole world in 3d as uh -huh, well uh -huh. and then shoot within it um in our world we build the puppets the characters in 3d and they act almost like they're hanging in front of a painted flat surface yeah and as long as that goes off of the frame of the 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 screen you just can't tell it, uh -huh. you know your brain says oh this must be a world that i'm in uh -huh. as soon as you shrink that background down you see the edge of it you're like oh i'm standing in front of a flat painting so it's, uh -huh. it is much like a a play or a puppet show like uh -huh. in yeah yeah, yeah that, that puppet show metaphor is helpful that's that makes sense um I've, I've seen puppet shows and you know <laughs> I, I, the static background and, and the puppets moving in front of the static background so that's that's how things are working in this um, exactly. and actually to, to add on to that metaphor because i know this is confusing in the the kind of you know computer animation world but the um after we model those characters in 3d they're very much set up like you would an actual puppet so figuring out where their elbows and their wrists and their finger joints would be and adding pivots really in those areas yeah um even the way that the skin would transform figuring that out and adding actual handles so you don't see any of that when it's finally rendered but when the animator opens up that that file of uh -huh. the of the character they see all these handles and they click on those handles and literally they can lift an arm or they can move a finger and lift a leg and they just you know then frame by frame or um with some help from the computer actually add motion very much like a puppeteer so I, I think of modern day animators as really more puppeteers than, yeah than that's so interesting yeah um well while we're on the subject of the painted background um I know when you did the Zisby game you realized you might as well because that's outside and you have camera angles from you know because you have to show the action of the, of the game y'all ended up just painting a whole three 360 degree cylinder Kind of like right. the the cyclorama um if you know i don't know how many people have ever been to a cyclorama but i've been to one in, in atlanta one time and and you, you wherever you look you see a you know this painting is you're you're inside the painting and so tell me uh, i'd love to hear you talk about about that building okay. of a of a cyclorama yeah yeah that's actually a good word for it we call it a, a panorama oh um, but the cyclorama is probably more fitting because it is it's attached to a cylinder um yeah in that sense we what we did is just painted instead of painting we knew the camera would be moving a lot because it's mm -hmm. a sports game and so the camera would be low as somebody kicked the ball and then and then it would move downfield as the other character caught it mm -hmm. and um, we just really quickly could tell that we would be, end up painting a lot of one-off backgrounds in that yeah. area and so um a way that to, to kind of unify it and speed it up was to just paint one big background and as you said apply it to a cylinder in 3d space in the computer um and then and then our characters were just floating in front of that but uh -huh. as long as the camera was in the right area um you know within kind of eye level yeah it just looked like you're in that world and you could then turn the camera around and that background would shift accordingly yeah that's so interesting yeah like a kind of a house of cards but it worked well <laughs> yeah it saved a lot of time yeah yeah and I, I remember i do remember you telling me about the um 
that's great for backgrounds, but if you've got something in, that's in the foreground or the middle ground, you can't paint it on the cyclorama. So you you had like a, there was a barn in there that you painted in uh, face on, and then three quarters from one side and three quarters from the other side. Exactly. Drop in, yeah. Yeah, you can imagine that the tree line and the mountains in the background don't get a lot of shift as you move from one side of the field to the next. But that that barn that was built right next to it, yeah, would shift quite a bit. And yeah. so, yep, that needed to be painted from both sides in the front. And then there was just some rock walls that were existed as kind of just cards, we call them. And they're just, you know, um, painted flat planes that you could move around and, and dress into the scene uh -huh. that yeah. way. Uh, well, I, probably some of this is hard to picture for somebody who's just just listening. But <laughs> they can see it in the the Art of Wingfeather book, some of these things. So Yeah. Uh, yeah. We tried to kind of walk everybody through that because it, yeah. it is it's a weird world to to picture when we're in it it's just like yeah that's the way it works but we're talking about computers then we're talking about painting and cards and camera yeah. it just yeah. gets yeah. odd yeah well it's funny when i was talking with with the artists about you know all these things y'all your your language which makes perfect sense to you um is really it's it's kind of hard to grasp for somebody who's who doesn't live in your world and and you know you'll say things like well i mean they're just standing in front of a background as and I'm thinking, well, the background's on a computer too. It's you know, I, we had some some awkward conversations. And I was trying to understand even what you were you were talking about. Exactly, like what kind of reality are we talking about yeah. here? Yeah. 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 Um, let's let's talk about a, a phrase I've heard you use more than once is truth of materials. So you, um, when y'all decided that you weren't going to be photorealistic. One way to go is that kind of super wonky who frame Roger Rabbit, you know, almost like claymation type stuff. Yeah. You know, furniture, you know, a, a, a dresser drawer that's so wonky that in real life it couldn't possibly open, for instance. And and uh, I know you, you have a background, I think, in construction or in furniture making or something. And you're really serious about what you call truth of materials. So I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about truth of materials and, and why that's important to you. Yeah, that is a phrase that we uh, threw around a lot as we were starting to kind of decide on on what kind of world we were building. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that Andrew and Chris, uh, Andrew Peterson, the author, and Chris Wall, the showrunner um, on the Wing Feather Saga, both wanted to get into the the story as a whole was a sense of stakes that um, that this world uh, in this world, you know, characters actually die characters get hurt um houses burn down and mm -hmm. so in a world like that it it just didn't fit that we would go super cartoony with it mm -hmm. uh, because you would end up feeling like it was it was all just make believe mm -hmm. but we wanted to give this this story a sense of weight and so as the art director it was my job to kind of um you know describe visually what this world was going to look like um, and there's there's a lot of directions we could take that. So the truth of materials came for me in just, you know, the way things were constructed. And so mm -hmm. like uh, it, in a lot of the old Disney cartoons, you know, things could get very wonky. Uh, mm -hmm. So we'd have, you know, there could be a, a board, say, that looked like it was bending. Mm -hmm. um, 
in a way that boards just don't bend yeah or, or a chair that looked like it was inflated um instead of carved and so with the truth and materials concept it's just like okay we can design things like it's really kind of ramshackle and and falling down and has a lot of character um but if it's made out of wood let's let's draw that wood um in a way that wood is is worked so it's either carved or it's sawn um or you know honed with an axe mm -hmm. it's not inflated it's not yeah. um polished um yeah so it's just the idea that with a chimney as well where you know it would be made out of bricks and you know in those old wonky cartoons that chimney might just bend around like it's made out of rubber but um, I wanted to still be able to get those interesting shapes of something that is is falling over and and might have a bend to it, but it's it's from shifting bricks and not mm. bending bricks, if that makes sense. Yeah. So a lot of that kind of just observation of the real world and trying to bring that into a make believe world um, yeah. to yeah. sell its ability. Yeah. Um, well, okay. I don't know if this is a corollary uh or a an adjunct to um truth of materials um or maybe it's just adjacent to it I'm, i want to talk and think about a little bit pete's castle the treehouse and some choices you made there because yeah you, you and you make this remark in the in the art of wing feather book you could have done that as even thought about maybe doing it as sort of an ewoki kind of thing that would just be made out of tree limbs and and uh, whatever. Uh, but you ended up making Pete's castle out of salvaged materials from abandoned farmhouses around. Uh, not that any of that's explained. You know, no, nobody explains that in the story. It's just we see it for ourselves and that he's he's made this treehouse. I guess there are some limbs and things, but also out of uh, junk that he's. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about the, the process by which you arrived at that. For sure, yeah. I, it's interesting in, in animation, especially. I think um, in live action, you go shoot at a set and you kind of get what you. There's a lot that you get for free. You know, there's yeah. ma actual mountains in the background. There's, yeah. um, you know, trees and stuff. But in animation, it's like everything that you see on screen has to be thought up, and uh -huh. and designed by artists. And so all of these locations you know start with just usually a meeting with andrew with chris talking about you know what is this area what's this area you know to the author and then what is it in the in the kind of canon of the story mm -hmm. and so yeah pete's treehouse was a, a a good one where it's like yeah we could is he out we you have to think about his backstory is he out here all by himself just kind of building this tree fort for fun is he trying to make it look, you know, fancy because he likes he liked his castle back when he was living in in the Shining Isle? Um, and in this case, we imagined, you know, Pete is is there to kind of keep an eye on the children in Glipwood. And he's this is his home that he's built up in the trees, probably because he's trying to avoid getting eaten by all the creatures out there in <laughs> Glipwood. Um yeah and what materials would he use to do that and then you know we're thinking the history of that area is that um 
since the creatures have kind of taken over, it's pushed people away from Glipwood Forest. So maybe there's some abandoned houses and they've, um, you know, he would just look around for boards that are already there rather than trying to mill his own wood in the forest. Um, So, yeah, there's a there's a lot of that in the world building process of just trying to think of the history, trying to think of the history and then show the history. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that, you know, once they so say he has the boards and from old farmhouses building his treehouse. And so then maybe he probably just took the front door off of one of them. And I think the the door on the treehouse is just, you know, an old an old farmhouse door with the paint peeling and mm-hmm. they would just pile up some leaves to show that, you know, this thing's been there for a while. And, and hopefully, hopefully when you're watching it, you don't think about that, but it just mm-hmm. kind of, there's this subtle, um, just history that, um, is, is an underlying, um, feature there. Yeah. I, I love the way, Looking at Pete's treehouse, how much story is contained just in there? You know, as you said, the the materials um, tell the history of that area, um, mm-hmm. of, of the abandonment of the the local places, but also the, the way that the disorder of the the treehouse reflects the disorder of um, Pete's mind. And, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's like so. It's but and, and y'all do so much of this so well in in the the animated in the animation. This combination of I mean, there's nothing more exciting to a child than a treehouse, and yet it's also a, a place of disorder and possible danger. And um, I, I think at one point in the book, you or somebody talks about the idea that animation is is really good at a, at a one note treatment of something. Something's really scary or really funny or really whatever. And y'all were really working to have more than one note going at one time. So, you know, the, the, the dragon day celebration is happy and festive, but also a little shabby. And, and, and y'all managed to do a lot of that visually that uh, I think you did such a great job on. Yeah, that definitely is the, the task of the artist. I think is just to, help support that story in everything that's on screen Mm -hmm. and you obviously don't want that to be overhanded to where it's like you know you're you're paying more attention to the backgrounds and to the Mm -hmm. the architecture than you are the characters and the dialogue but you do want to use the tools that you're given to to really support who the characters are on screen what the the story arc is happening Mm -hmm. um and the tools there are, yeah, the design of the buildings, and then it gets into the color, you know, mm-hmm. what, oh, yeah. what kind of mood do you want to set, what the lighting is, like if if you want to have a, if 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 a couple of characters are having an intimate private conversation, kind of putting them in shade or in shadow, mm-hmm. so it shows that, you know, they're not out in the visible. Um, yeah. And there's just endless, you know, little tricks like that that you can use to kind of guide the emotion and help the viewer to just you know get it without feeling like they have to listen to the dialogue it's all supporting that mm, yeah um that reminds me of of uh something that i thought was funny that that uh that you mentioned in in the art of wing brother book and that is that you um love sneaking scenes scenes in which people are sneaking 
Oh yeah. <laughs> and and so in one of the episodes five, maybe there's a, a long, uh, there's, there's a, a long scene of sneakery um, that I think you had a, a big, a big role. Oh, yeah. in. I mean, I know you, you had a big role in everything, but, but uh, tell me about why you love sneaking scenes. Yeah. I, you know, I think that with in any movie, you're trying to get certain sense of action, certain mm-hmm. sense of like just bringing the, the audience into whatever's happening. And most common way to do that is with just action scenes, you know, fighting or running or jumping stuff, a lot of quick um, shots and, and fast things happening. I think what I, what I appreciate about the sneaking um, is that you can create a similar level of peril and, and in a sense, action by actually slowing things down. Uh-huh. Um, it also is a great way to just tie the, the, the characters into the world. Uh-huh. Because usually when you're sneaking, you're using the environment to, you know, hide behind things and and duck into the shadows and go down alleys and um, yeah. and all that, trying to tread lightly and not make a noise. And so, you know, in, there's just a lot of good filmmakers. I know Brad Bird, you know, who did The Incredibles, talks mm-hmm. about this a lot, too. It's just like those kind of moments where you f- you really don't want that character to get caught. Mm-hmm. And so it takes takes a bit of um, thinking to to kind of orchestrate that right. But yeah, in episode five, we had, we had a great little sneak scene. Yeah. Um, it, at nighttime. Yeah. yeah. It's it. I think I think you said in in the book it draws it draws the um, the viewer into the environment in a way and, and consciously like the 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 viewer is paying more attention to the environment than they uh, than they know they are in other scenes exactly yeah most most action scenes is just like okay this guy's running you know he's getting chased it doesn't really matter what's flying by behind him Mm -hmm. as soon as you're sneaking as soon as you're trying to not be found out um and there's some certain task that has to to be um accomplished then it's like oh get behind that tree you know stay hidden uh-huh. <laughs> um all right so there's when you i think one of the things that that must have made your job challenging was the fact that there are so many people who who already loved the stories this world they they felt like they knew what this world looked like um and then you're coming in and drawing scenery and and settings that that can't be what everybody thought right because <laughs> everybody's vis- visualized a little bit differently um to what extent were you uh, really working hard to match up with what the books um how the books describe the visuals and to what extent were you pushing against that and and trying something that that was different from what was in the books yeah we you know, we as as much as possible stuck with the descriptions, and and that was kind of a nod to the the, the fans. You know, we mm-hmm. wanted the fans to watch the show and be like, "Oh yeah, there's Pete's Treehouse." Like I remember that, or there's um, there's the the Glipwood Trail that goes down the cliff. Of course, that would be there. Um, you know, in books, you don't need to describe things 
all that well. So you can give kind of a little brief setup and then your mind takes over. Yeah. Um, here, uh, on, when we bring it to screen though, it's, it's, we have to figure it all out. Yeah. So I would say that for the most part, we stuck with the description. That is where we always start. Like sure. when I hand off uh, an assignment to a, say an environment designer or a character designer, um, we literally cut and paste that those sections out of the book as a prompt. Um, and if there's any illustrations in the books, we put those into the packet as well, because uh, we definitely want to start there. Um, the the good thing is that Andrew, you know, a lot of the stuff that he put into the book was just kind of like, you could tell it was stuff he thought was cool. <laughs> um, like, of course, you're going to write a treehouse in you, uh, uh, kind of an old abandoned manor that might be haunted. Um, you know, and then as we get into the woods of course there's going to be these giant live oaks and just creepy forests because these are all things that you know yeah growing up you think about yeah. um so in that sense as we were designing it was kind of like let's just make it look cool and look and fit the world and usually that would be good enough to win andrew over <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. and he did have the final say on all that because we wanted to make sure to to um you know stay in his in his vision so yeah yeah and it was the the whose idea were the live oaks didn't did andrew say i want live oaks in this forest or did you that was andrew yeah we you know when the task for glipwood forest came up um and my first thing is always to just go do a big reference dive and mm -hmm. google you know mysterious forest and you know, giant trees and concept art, old paintings, whatever, and just build a, a, a kind of a, you know, a montage of images. Um, so I pitched a few of those and Andrew was very emphatic that these needed to be live oaks uh -huh. and to reference Florida because that's where he grew up. And so the live oaks in, in Florida and the South and, um, so then we started just doing some illustrations with those and it was like, okay, yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Those are some incredible trees. So it makes sense. I mean, yeah. They're well, I'm sure it, since you, you grew up in the Pacific Northwest, your idea of big, big trees was probably not, that probably wasn't the first thing to come to mind would be those. Yeah, trees, exactly. Yeah. The trees I, uh, I'm used to are much more vertical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I, I could imagine as a, as an illustrator, that might've been exciting to have those, uh, those, sprawling live oaks to work with instead of the vertical trees it was yeah and it makes sense to the the tree house and you know then the the um the bridge system that pete had built where they're just running through the canopy uh -huh. and it would just be these giant live oaks yeah yeah were there any uh are there any pine trees in the in this world any southern pines you got southern oak trees in southern pines <laughs> I know, you know, once in season two, we will cross the river Black and okay. get into the, I guess it would be the northern Glipwood Forest, um, which is where the Stranders live. And we did try to change the foliage there, okay. just it distinct. Yeah. We didn't go, we didn't get into the fur, the conifers yet, but it's, they're much more vertical, um, I guess, more maple, uh, elm looking trees. Uh-huh. And then as we, at the end of season two, we will get into the Stony Mountains and start to see some conifers. 
Uh huh. Okay. I'm looking forward to the conifers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so y'all are, um, I mean, finishing up season two, right? You've already, are you already working on season three a little bit? Yeah. It's, it's a, the, you know, for TV, the seasons overlap. So uh-huh. we try to release a season once a year, but the, the season takes about 18 months to make. And so mm-hmm. there's, there's about six months of overlap. And um, so, yeah, we're, we're finishing up season two. I'd say we're about, we've got about half of the episodes done, but you know, quite a bit more work. Yeah. And then just starting in on season three. So starting to de- design the stony mountains and Camara. Yeah. Ah, um, so exciting. Yeah. Lots of cool stuff that we're going to see. There's a huge sled race down the mountains. And uh-huh. This is season three. Yeah. But lots uh, of look- when, when, uh, do we know when season two starts releasing? It's as far as I know, around April. Okay. Yeah. April of twenty-four. April of twenty-four. Yep. All right. And there might be some pre-release stuff. I know, like we're having the Feather Fest uh, that's in in Nashville uh, coming up here, and we're going to show the first episode of season two. Oh, fun! Thank you. Yeah. Well, Garrett, I just love what y'all have done. You, you've uh, I love hearing the way you thought through. Uh, things and and thinking through things that that fiction writers like Andrew or like me don't have to think through. Um, we don't have to think about what's in the background necessarily, but you do. And so, thanks for the thought and the care and the love you put into this. It's, you've done a great job, and and I love uh, I just love looking at that world. Well, cool. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm blessed to do it. So thanks for the time. Yeah, thanks for being here. Hi, right, John. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.